Welcome back to the We Include podcast, where we bring you the latest and greatest in diversity and inclusion solutions. I'm your host, Juana Yordekescu, and today we're taking you to busy London. Joining us is the fabulous Hayley Baker, co-founder of Diversely.io, the inclusive recruitment solutions that's transforming diversity for businesses worldwide through cutting-edge data analytics and innovative recruitment tools. Let me tell you folks, Diversely.io is nothing like I've seen before. Their platform promises hiring teams like yours to source more diverse and underrepresented talent fairly and with measurable progress. Trust me when I say this, this is exactly what we need in the corporate world right now. So grab your headphones and get ready to lift the mystery with Haley herself. We'll be delving into how they build this amazing venture and the impact it's already having. Ready? Let's go. Today I'm so excited to have you here. I woke up with such a bubble of energy because I'm like, I'm speaking to Haley today. I'm speaking to Haley today. <laughs> oh, that's so lovely to hear. Yes, fully energized and really excited about this podcast as well. Thanks for having me. I'm currently actually living in Warsaw in Poland, um, but I actually was born in South Africa and grew up in the Netherlands. So quite a bit of a diversity of background going on over there. Um, I am now, as you mentioned, the co-founder and head of product and technology at Diversely. My career didn't start off there. I began actually by background as a financial engineer. I saw, yeah, fintech, <laughs> consultancy, very different. So very different. But I find a lot of people who end up working in diversity and inclusion, you know, didn't start off there. It's not like sure. you went to school and you studied D&I. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, as you say, I, I kind of had a career in financial services, in management consulting, combining both of those. But one overarching theme is that I was always an underrepresented person in the workforce from a gender perspective. There weren't a whole lot of women. And I think that's something that over time grew that passion for creating more diversity, but also greater equity and opportunities for women and later for people from underrepresented groups generally. So after that career, I actually set up my own tech offshoring business where I was working with fintech and e-commerce and you know AI chatbots to develop products for others. Um, and a couple of years of that, I met my co-founder, Helen, through my work at Girls in Tech. So Girls in Tech, for those that don't know, is a nonprofit that helps to engage empower and support more women to work in STEM. So I met my co-founder and she said, you have, you know, the product and tech experience. I have the more commercial and marketing side. How about we join forces and build a product that really, truly moves the needle on diversity and inclusion mm -hmm. for people globally. Uh, and for me, that was such an exciting moment because it was the opportunity to combine all of these different things that I'd done in my life with something that I was so passionate about. And, and that's diversity. Amazing. And this is coming out for a few years already. I mean, I've been following you, but I, I think in the past 12 months or so, I've been seeing a big push. Um, what has, what, yeah, how is the journey so far? What are some milestones with diversity? Great question. So I think it's been just under three years from mm -hmm. the moment that, you know, my co-founder and I really decided, actually during COVID, we said, <laughs> okay, we're not traveling much. We're all stuck. We were both in living in Singapore at that point in time. So the business was actually conceived in Singapore. Um, and we decided, okay, let's put our other businesses on hold 
and let's explore this. And we just started, you know, with the initial user research. Luckily, during COVID, a lot of HR people were sitting at home and they were very much open to having a virtual coffee, which I think prior to COVID wasn't really a thing. And now everyone was like, yeah, let's do a virtual coffee, which was great for us because we got to speak to, I mean, 50 plus HR managers and leaders. Um, at that point in time, we knew we wanted to solve DNI not just for women, but wider. We weren't sure which part of the hiring journey to focus on. And from our user research, we then really decided to zoom in onto the talent sourcing and recruitment stage mm-hmm. um, because it has such a great uh, opportunity for bias. And it's also an area that from the girls in tech work, but also my co-founder's business, Hopscotch, we've had a lot of experience in as well. Yeah, yeah. So the first thing was, you know, understanding the market, what's out there, what people are facing in terms of challenges that are in this space. And then we said, okay, we think we have it. We built a kind of clickable prototype, you can call it. And we went out to various businesses and showed it to them and said, you know, would you want to sign up? to be an early user for this. And they actually had to draw their credit card. It was like, I don't know, $20 or something. But we just wanted to show that, yes, people are actually interested. And once we had a list of those potential buyers for the future, we went out and we raised investment. And we, we did that from angel investors because very much aware, you know, in the early stages where you don't really have any market traction or something. You just need to find people who believe in you and believe in what you're looking to solve. So over a period of, I'd say a year, it wasn't a one-off fundraise over a year. We raised about half a million in US dollars from people all around the world, which was amazing. From men, from women, from young people, from all through, it was everything. People from HR industry and people not from HR industry, but just people who you know, we're willing to support what we were doing. And we were so honored to get that that funding because that was then allowed us to, for the next kind of year, build out the product. I'm so happy that you brought that up and kind of detailed a little bit the funding uh, story. Uh, this is a scary moment for a lot of people, right? Like you imagine something and your friends and your peers, they're all encouraging, right? Because nobody will shut you down, first of all, even if it's not great. <laughs> Uh, but most of the time, let's say it's a good idea, which needs fine tuning and people need to kind of go in there. But there's this fear of like nobody would actually like everybody likes it, but who would actually put their wallet in? And I'm, I love the fact that you got a bit real with this. Maybe it's not going to be a source. Maybe you're not going to have the best VC in town starting off, but maybe it's going to be your cousin who actually, I don't know. <laughs> so yeah. And then it expands its network and network and it can be a little makes a lot, right? A little, a lot of times make a lot and that boosts you and then makes you accelerate or create the next step. And this is a bit of a real talk because especially in this type of business, and not just the, I think any kind of entrepreneurial journey starts here, pre, pre, pre pre-seed. Exactly, pre, pre pre-seed for sure. I mean, pre-product, pre-everything essentially. And that's why I think tapping into your network and, and usually if you start up a business, you will already have some leeways in to the kind of people that might be interested because hopefully you're already doing some work in in the area that you're looking to set up a business if you're not it's probably a bit of a risky business (laughs) so you know i had a network through girls in tech my co-founder had a network through her previous business but also honestly we just did a lot of posts on linkedin 
yeah. about our vision, about our prototype, about the type of people that were interested. And we also literally had people just approaching us through LinkedIn going, this sounds really interesting. I'd like to learn more. And they ended up investing. You started with um, kind of addressing or mapping a bit more the challenges on talent attraction and hiring, which is my area. And you can break it down in as many small pieces as you want. Then the journey continues, right, with the employee journey. What happens when people actually reach organizations, then become alumni of those organizations? There's a whole ecosystem there, right? Exactly. I, I really want to dive a bit more into... One, how you use AI, because it is the talk of the town everywhere, and we need to really understand what that means and, and trust somehow, well, not really, become able to distinguish between good <laughs> and maybe in work in progress, um, but also how are you uh, addressing intersectionality? I love that part. I think we should just talk a bit more about it. So how, if we look at the tech, if we lift the hood, what's there? If I may just step back for one sec, because I think the tech is just the enabler, right? It's looking at what do we want to solve for? What do we want to achieve? And then why is this the right technology to do that? For us, um, and when it comes to the, the, the challenges we're addressing through AI, I think there are three. One is the need to write more inclusive job adverts. So, so many of the businesses that my co-founder and I were getting job adverts from saying, oh, please promote this to the woman in your network. We would read those job adverts and literally have to rewrite 90% of them because we were just looking at ourselves and going, no one in our network will want to work for this business given how this job advert is written, right? Either because it was just a long list of things that they needed. <laughs> we need these 10 things from you, not speaking about themselves at all but also the, the nature of the language that was used in those job adverts. A lot of it was quite masculine. It was quite um, hyperbolic is what we call it. So a lot of exceptional, strong, powerful, you know. So we spent a lot of time rewriting those. And through rewriting them manually, we discovered that actually we got a lot more diversity applying exactly the same role, just written differently. So we knew there was something there and then through research, we looked into, okay, what type of technology can help us to automate some of this? Or not even automate, but system enable it so that it's more efficient. And that's where we came to natural language processing, NLP. And natural language processing is a subset of AI that uses um, large sets of, of uh, language data and then is able to identify certain types of language, also recommend different types of language. And that's exactly what we wanted. And that's why we decided to go with that technology. So what the technology in essence does, is it scans a job advert. It picks up if you're using certain language that has been flagged based on our research database that we worked with the University of Nottingham on. So it flags if it contains language that might be biased towards certain groups. And then it goes, okay, instead of using this word, for example, strong skills, why don't you say demonstrable skills, for example? Or instead of saying driving improvement initiative, could you say achieving uh, improvement initiative? So it was really subtle stuff, but that's what the AI is able to do. And I think this is a really important distinction with the AI that a lot of people are afraid of, that is AI that makes decisions for you essentially and especially 
automated decisions without human intervention versus AI that actually creates awareness, tries to nudge you in the right direction, but you're still in control. Um, so that was one of them. And then the second one, which where we use natural language processing is actually in candidate CVs or resumes. So we found that there's a lot of bias in hiring managers and sometimes also recruiters going through applicant profiles and then disregarding them for criteria that actually aren't relevant at all. Things like they're too old to be learning new tech, so we're not even going to consider their CV or they're too young, so they won't be senior enough for this role or, oh, we don't think this person will fit into the team well culturally based on what. Um, so what we then decided is to anonymize or mask what we call it, mask CVs automatically. And again, using AI and all that AI does is it scans the language. It identifies if there are any personal or identifiable characteristics and it removes or replaces those. So if someone speaks about themselves in the third person using gendered pronouns, so some people, let's take my own CV, I might say, Haley Baker has 10 years of experience and she has worked in the consulting industry. We would remove the name we would replace she with they, and we would remove the years of experience because that's an age indicator. And we would just present back a much more experience and skills forward CV so that recruiters and hiring managers focus on what really matters. And that's what someone's done and not their background or their identity. Yeah. I, for those who have heard me in different other environments, why I started my journey on DI was exactly because of a job description having a weird requirement. I was just starting in my career uh, and it kind of felt wrong, right? Like it was so early for me. I was back in Romania. So, I mean, in a way you could just pass through and move on and just say, yes, I need this type of thing for the person that I'm going to hire. But it just stopped me in my tracks and it, it burned my brain, right? Like I, I, it's with me and it is my motivator <laughs> throughout these years. And I love that you're giving somehow the tools to people to understand what is that thing that should stop them in their tracks? Because sometimes you just don't know, right? Like you, bias is there for a reason. It also helps us, right? To make fast decisions, to create speed, to kind of create somehow acceleration in what we do. And most of the times take the right decisions, right? But um, due to our society and systemic education, we fall into these traps, right? Ultimately. And you're giving somehow the people the opportunity to, check themselves to create awareness for themselves, but also for others. And I love that for us all as an industry. <laughs> I'm glad that it makes sense, especially for you being a practitioner. I know you really know what I'm talking about. So that's great to hear. And, and I agree with you. It's about not, and that's what people get confused with AI. Oh no, AI will introduce bias. In fact, we're doing the exact opposite with our technology. We're creating awareness for existing human bias and we're trying to nudge people to do the right thing using AI, natural language processing. The, the, I think the second biggest challenge I've had, my peers have in this industry is combining diversity dimensions. And when we think, talk about like human identity, um, again, those who have heard me in other forums, I speak about like, there are things, gender, uh, gender identity, um, uh, age, 
that I cannot change about myself. Like these are stuck with me most of the time, unless I lie on my CV or how old I am, because I am getting old, so it's starting to annoy me. But, <laughs> um, but ultimately, these are part of my identity that I cannot change. But they they influence so much how I experience the world and how the world perceives me. Um, and you are addressing six specific dimensions, at least at this point, through your through your product. Talk us through that a bit more. Sure. Um, I think another element that we haven't gone into for where diversity really focuses our attention, and this is what we got from the market, is that you know I think ninety percent of HR leaders have DNI high on their you know prioritization Correct. list for the year. Probably about definitely about 70 or 80% of them have actually got specific targets for hiring as well uh, in their hiring strategies, but only less than 20% have metrics and measurements in place Mm -hmm. to actually know how they're doing and what's working and what's not working. And off the back of that, when we set out to build diversity, we knew immediately that measurements and bringing data analytics to DE&I was super important. And we were surprised because any other area of business, be it sales and finance or marketing, you're always looking at data and dashboards. We're like, why would DE and I be any different? So one of the, the modules of the product is a diversity and inclusion dashboard in which when you start off using the tool as a business, you would first start off by selecting which of these elements of diversity elements or characteristics you want to be focusing on in the next year. And you mentioned we currently do six, and and those are gender, ethnicity and race, age, disability, sexual orientation, and veteran status. We're actually, as we speak, adding two more. Those are religion and socioeconomic status because we were getting a lot of ask for that from our clients. Uh, But I think what's most important is that you get businesses started wherever they are at. I think that's something that's always important. So we don't force them to go look at all of these at once. Generally, people will start off with gender because that's what most people think about. um, And it's the most international one. But then they can add on as they go. So once they've gotten gender working for them, you know, they're, they're getting the results that they're looking for. We go, okay, how about now you add another one? How about you consider age? Age is also something that actually applies everywhere in the world. So, and one that's frequently really overlooked. So we can add that in. And then what we do through diversity is we help them to visualize what their current workforce diversity looks like, to set goals, not quotas, but goals for themselves. Like where would we like to be as an organization in the next year through our hiring? And then we help them to visualize, track and measure throughout their talent pipeline, okay, what is the results I'm seeing across those diversity elements from people applying for our roles, being shortlisted and interviewed, and then hired? So that they can really understand, are we getting closer to our goals? Are we seeing drop-off points along that journey? And where should we be targeting our initiatives and our interventions? Uh, And that's, I think, the, the... power of diversity is we give hiring managers and recruiters tools to do better, but we also help them to demonstrate, you know, what's working and also for them to take that to their leadership. And you meet them where they are, which is super important. Every time I, I went into the organization and developed different programs or, or initiatives, 
that yeah if you start way too far from where they are you're just not going to get traction and i think it's super important um what i really hope for you is that there's you're you're meeting people further down the line more and more versus the business case right i think this is some some change that has happened in the past years um i i will ask you because this is this is a difficult topic and I don't think even for myself, I got the answer fully. How do we navigate data collection um, or tracking um, US versus EU um, in terms of privacy law? And I know you are looking into the legislative con constraints and conditions that we need to apply as you are building a global product. Um, it needs to kind of look into that. Any any insights from you? Many insights. In fact, we <laughs> launched our... Um diversity data compliance guide in the last nice. month so you know i'm sure we'll add in a, a link to diversity website where that can anyone can just go in and download that um i think there are three key points that i'd like to make when it comes to gathering and collecting and using diversity data the first one is ensuring not even from a legal and compliance perspective that you know you define diversity mm -hmm. gather and collect that diversity data in a way that is relevant and insightful for wherever you are recruiting or operating in the world. And mm -hmm. a really obvious example of that is in the US, if you're talking about race and ethnicity, you might say, you know, white, African-American, Hispanic. Yeah. But if you go to Singapore, where we were founded as a business, and you would ask a person in your workforce to define their race or ethnicity based on those criteria, they'd go, what is this and why is this? What are you trying to achieve? In Singapore, we would go Chinese, Malay, Indian, other, for example. More nationality focused. Yeah. yeah. Well, for them, that's an ethnicity because yeah. India <laughs> yeah, true. necessarily come from India. You can mm -hmm. be Malay Indian. Mm -hmm. or, you know. So I think understanding the global nuances of where you are in the world yes. is super important because if you're asking irrelevant questions and running irrelevant reports, it doesn't even matter because it won't give you the insights that yeah. you Yeah, people try two times and then buy. Exactly. No one will disclose. So I think that's the first point that doesn't even have anything to do with with laws and regulation. The second one is then understanding cultural sensitivity as well. Mm. So, um, let's say even if you're allowed to ask something by law, how accepted is? How does, do people perceive that? And you know, definitely when it comes to sexual orientation, that's a topic that, you know, even if allowed by law in certain countries is more socially acceptable than others. So being aware of that. And then finally, the most probably prickly topic is what am I allowed to do where? And again, that differs from place to place. In fact, uh, we document three key types of regulation in every place that is relevant. So the first one you touched upon, which is data privacy. The second is anti-discrimination. And the third is related, but equality acts. <laughs> so each of these play quite a different role. Some places, equality acts even mandate that you report on certain characteristics. Yeah. And they're starting more and more in Europe as well, right? Increasingly. Initially, that was only in the US with the EEOC. Mm -hmm. Now you're seeing it coming up in the UK, and I can definitely see more and more countries following. So it's not even a question of, am I allowed to ask things? but I have to. So I think it's good to be aware that there are grades and a shift that is occurring. Anti-discrimination 
obviously that's more targeted on protecting people from discrimination. And therefore it's really important to consider why and how am I gathering the data, but how am I ensuring through that whole process that that data cannot be misused or abused to discriminate in the hiring process, in the promotion process or wherever that is. So that's where that one comes into play. And then the data privacy, uh, definitely probably the most prickly one of the three is sometimes you're just simply not allowed to ask or gather some data in certain places. Um, France is well known for being one of the most stringent when it comes to that. I worked in France and I Uh, learned a lot. Exactly. (laughs) But you know, every country is different and that legislation is changing. I mean, even just look in the US. Initially, there was just the CCPA that we need to worry about which was California, but kind of applied everywhere. Now mm-hmm. Virginia's come out with one, a couple more states. So it is changing every day. And we actually have a legal team in-house mm-hmm. who is monitoring all these regulations all the time and can update in the back end of our system in our dashboard, in our dashboard and go in and say, okay, you know, Virginia has just launched this new law. We now there are allowed to do this. We cannot yep. do this. And it's kind of built into the system because we want to help businesses to measure as much as possible, but still feel comfortable and sure that they're in compliance because that's the number one reason why people aren't tracking. We're too scared. That's what Yeah, they're they're scared to do something wrong for themselves as an individual and yeah, kind of fall in in, in weird places or for the organization, they're massive risk. Can I I intern in your legal team? I, I find these things fascinated. Like in the past six months or so, I'm just down the rabbit hole of, court cases in different countries for discrimination and they're very interesting because sometimes the court actually ignores the law because it actually it's better for the for the person right like it's a more of a moral and ethical problem than an actual compliance problem and i'm i'm so happy that you're actually addressing all these dimensions and you are teaching people or showing people how to balance things out right like it is a decision that you will need to make at some point but these are the data points and i think this is this is where we need to exactly it's it's giving people the um i would say comfort of we know what we're talking about we consider all these kind of things uh, and we we allow them to be more stringent so we will say tell them okay in the netherlands you can ask this it's also culturally acceptable if you ask it this is the way of asking it but if you don't feel comfortable just turn that off again meeting them where they are mm-hmm. and once they start building that confidence maybe when new legislation comes out they can yeah. always turn it on again Haley, uh what's next for diversity interesting question well we're we're always expanding the the product based on what our clients are looking for so the majority of our clients probably are us and uk based but we do have clients operating globally and I mean, one key example that we just touched upon already is adding on different dimensions or characteristics as we go. Um, I think when it comes to the analytics and reports that we generate, that's another area where we're seeing a lot of change and updates. So also being able to run, for instance, compliance reports from our system to report directly to in the US OFCCP, for example, is one of that we get asked about a lot, but also just almost taking the recruitment analytics that people are used to running from their applicant tracking system, but then adding the diversity lens to that. So for instance, helping them understand when we're posting out to different job boards, 
is the diversity of return on investment that we're getting from that. You know, if we're changing the way in which we advertise our jobs and the requirements, but also the work arrangements like hybrid work, what is the diversity that we're seeing change by doing these kind of things? So there's a lot of analytics and reports that you can draw, and we want to make it easy for people to get relevant insights quickly, because unfortunately, we do still have to build that business case. And we want to make sure that leadership and management um, continue to see the value of what's being done and continue to invest in this, because that's, that's obviously a risk, especially when the market starts turning down. You know, people will often say, oh, won't Didi and I be one of the first things that people stop investing in? So far, we haven't seen that, but yeah, we hope we want to continue to support the DNI industry through what we're doing. Yeah, I don't think it's going anywhere. I think it's actually well. While there was a wave overall of layoffs, and indeed, I think there there is some perception because of let's say the past two years there was a maybe a, not necessarily an overinvestment. There's never going to be an overinvestment, but there was a bit of a hype somehow. And then maybe not a lot of people were fully committed. And we see this downfall, but I think it's just going to uh, yeah, trampoline from here. Um, Haley, you're on a journey together with Helen of breaking ground, right? Um, and I'm sure it's not all rosy and I'm sure it <laughs> it's not all easy. Um, what's, What's do what's Haley doing to keep the energy, right? Like how what are some of your practices, whether it's mindfulness or just I don't know, wine with friends, whichever it is. We always talk a bit about this part of the human behind these hard problems. Uh, and I'm very curious about what gives you energy. How do you carry on, on this road? It's a brilliant question because I know that and, and there are a lot of stats unfortunately coming out about this as well that DE&I burnouts are, are not an infrequent occurrence, let's put it that way. And I know why, because you are up against a lot of hills, let's say, you know, for a lot of people, this isn't an obvious problem. And, and one thing that I was running into, especially in the early days, but still sometimes is, you know, we'll explain what diversity does and they'll go, that's all great, but couldn't you just do a bias training for us? You know, people are kind of stuck that DE&I means doing a training once a year. So that's, that's one of the challenges and frustrations, but also the great opportunities, right? Because, you know, we know that tech is the answer to really making a change to, you know, systemically changing things in way we work. But for me personally, how I, how I go about that, and also with my co-founders, um, we meet up once every quarter in a different location because we both work remotely, which also makes it challenging. We get together, we do a bit of a strategy session with a whiteboard where we just step back from all the day-to-day -day stuff and we go, where are we going? What are the opportunities that we're seeing? How can we do it even better? But we also always make sure to do half a day of something non-work related. So we'll go, you know, last time we met in Budapest and then we go visit a castle together just to change the mindset and frame. But for me, in my day-to-day, -day, I go for runs, like running, it is, I don't know, my mindfulness because I'll be stressed. I'll have all these million things going on in my mind and then I'll just put on my running shoes. It's the easiest thing. I can do it anywhere and go. And for the first 10 minutes, my mind is still racing. And then at some point it just stops and it goes quiet. And I think, you know, for me, that's running, but I think everyone has that something for them that just stops their mind from working. And then by the end of that run, everything looks positive. 
I'll probably have subconsciously solved some of the challenges. And then I just look back and I just feel 100% refreshed and energized to start the journey again. We are not alone. That's how I feel whenever I talk to people like Haley. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, and I wish you all the best in your endeavor. We will be on the sideline cheering and hopefully connecting more and more. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Love, love the conversation. Thank you so much for staying with us for the entire episode. You are the best. If you enjoyed this conversation, subscribe to the We Include podcast on Spotify or the podcast provider of your choice. And don't forget to share in your networks. It's highly appreciated. You can find me on LinkedIn for suggestions of initiatives and topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes. They are coming out weekly. Till next time, take care.